This past Sunday, Mick Foley was the guest on Steve Austin's Broken Skull Sessions. This two-hour interview followed the recent two-hour A&E biography covering the career of Mick Foley. It's odd to me that before I started watching both shows, I didn't think there was anything left for me to learn about the hardcore legend. And I was wrong. I'm Ryan Joy, and I run MinutesDevelopMind.com, a website and database tracking pro wrestling around the world. On today's show, we're talking about Mankind, Cactus Jack, Do Love, Santa Claus, yeah, the three or four or five faces of Foley. What was his impact on us as fans? What was his impact on you? John DeCani is in the house. We have headlines for the last 24 hours. Plus, I'm going to try to squash all the rumors. This is the Daily Wrestling News Show for June 24, 2021, where we sort through all the bullshit in wrestling news to find you the truth. We have Mick Foley to get into this morning. He was the subject of a major WWE documentary on A&E and a guest on Steve Austin's Broken Skull Sessions. All of this in the past 30 days or so. They talked about everything from Mick's start in the business to the amazing Jim Ross interview to a short run in TNA. And was it all worth it for Mick Foley? So what would you think of the Mick Foley coverage we've had over the last few weeks? I loved it. Mick is one of those guys I just can't get enough of. He's one of those guys I could listen to him talk for hours and hours because he's he never fails to be entertaining to me. I say the same thing typically. I've seen him live a couple of times so just talking to a crowd. At some point, it struck me that this guy had me in the palm of his hand. I was hanging on every word he spoke. He's such a captivating speaker. So if anybody gets a chance to even just watch one of those things on TV, it'll amaze you at how he just has your attention. First and foremost, the documentary was very good. And Steve Austin, actually, during the Broken Skull Sessions, he said that many times. He's like, oh, watch this. It's amazing. Yeah. And I mentioned in the intro here that I really didn't think there was that much more for me to learn. And I won't say that there was a ton of new material but I think they approached it from different angles and had some different perspectives, including his children and his wife. I thought that was a good perspective. Dewey looking back on it when he was just very young. Yeah, and Mick said it himself, and I think in the Broken uh, broken Skull Sessions, that when they approached him, he was like, well, they already did For All Mankind. The CD that came out and whatnot has the documentary on it. That was about two and a half hours. And he said, what more is there to say? And the way they approach the the ideas that they had, the way they approached them, he said, "Okay, it's an honor to begin with. If you're only doing eight of these, and you've considered me for one of them, and he liked the way that they had it laid out." And I have to say, once again, a good portion of it I had already heard, but I did not feel like I was just hearing the same thing over and over again. It did have a little bit of a new spin to it, a little bit of extras here and there, and I enjoyed it 100. percent you know what it hit me during the Broken Skull sessions? I think that Mick, just in passing, said something about the four years I was a full-time wrestler at WWE. And that blew me away. Mm. He was four years. Only four years was he a full-time wrestler in WWE. You would have thought that his the stuff he accomplished was at least a decade long. But it was so condensed into just four years. He had those extensions to his career that he thought he was done. And then he came back with and worked a nice program with Triple H. And he thought he was done again. And he came back and worked the program with Edge. 
and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, it certainly made his career seem longer than it was. If you're a wrestling fan, he's been a part of your life for 20-plus years. You mentioned Edge and you mentioned Ric Flair. Randy Orton's the guy who needs to be thanking Mick Foley for the career that he's had because I really think it was the feud with Mick Foley when Mick Foley came back that really cemented that legend killer character. And I think Randy Orton is a legacy of Mick Foley. That's an excellent point. Yeah. Because he was doing rotten things to legends and whatnot. Now here was Mick who could actually take it to the ring and work a program on it. I don't know if there's anyone who's ever worked with Mick that didn't come out looking great because as he talked about in the broken skull sessions and in the documentary, a good portion of the early part of his career he didn't know how to get himself over. He just knew that he could make whoever he worked with in the ring look great. Yes. In both docs, they focused on a couple of key WWE matches. Of course, the Hell in a Cell match they talked about at length in both the interview and in the doc. The other one that I thought was interesting was the match he had against The Rock at the Royal Rumble where Mick took a million and a half chair shots and it was horrible for his family to watch and everything. What I learned in, in this set of documentaries and interviews is the motivation behind that. Because The Rock, as charismatic as he is, Mick knew that he can't carry that much charisma and expect the fans to boo. So over time, they, Mick knew that he was going to end up turning and the fans would start cheering him, but they had these big plans for Austin rock at WrestleMania. So the rock needed an edge. He needed something. He needed to do something despicable and deplorable so that the fans would not gravitate so easily toward him. And then that's when this angle materialized. Okay, rock, you are just going to completely destroy me at this pay-per-view. You're going to take, you're going to hit me with a chair a million and a half times and it'll get you all kinds of heat. And that was the motivation behind that miserable match for Mick Foley. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was by and large his idea. It, it seemed like even Austin was taken aback by that, you know, little nugget coming out that he being Foley was already thinking ahead. We know he's got this run against Stone Cold coming up and I Mick Foley, at this point, have got to put a little something extra into this angle and this character being The Rock to help him three months, four months, five months down the line. And to have that forethought, it just backs up what Heyman talks about in that he was one of those rare guys who fully saw the business, could think ahead, had his own ideas and he knew better than most how to tell a compelling story. And even with his admitted physical shortcomings, he always told a great story. It's the storytelling that I think put him on the map for sure. And when you rewind back a little bit from where we're talking about now, and you look at those sit down interviews with Jim Ross that he did, they talk about it in the interview that Dustin Rhodes had done one a couple of weeks before. He had done the shoot style, come out of character and explain his life. And those ones are very forgettable, the Dustin Rhodes ones. Sure. And Mick said, I've put so much effort into becoming mankind. I don't want to step out of this. And so he did the same style interview, but he stayed in character. And man, we're talking about these interviews. 
for so many years later. Sure. And the man could talk. Mick Foley was just whichever face of Foley it was. I do lo- dude love was pretty corny, but still he could talk. And if you're coming up in the business right now and you want to take a PhD master class on psychology in but more so even outside of the ring, pick up the ECW DVD, The Best of Cactus Jack. That is PhD level stuff. Just everything from his run-ins with uh, Terry Funk. He burned me, mommy. You know, it's just, it's so compelling. I could watch that, that DVD every week and not watch a minute of the wrestling. Just watch the promos he does. He does in between the Kane Dewey to the uh, Tommy Dreamer. Stop being hardcore. His whole anti-hardcore angle where he's flossing with a half-inch microphone cable in between the huge gap in his teeth. I mean, he's just a goddamn master at it. Yes. The other one of the other just quick snippets that I enjoyed, and again, they're taking from different angles in this is when you brought up Dude Love. Mick is recounting the the discussion that he had with Shawn Michaels about, I wanted to be you or like you or get the adulation of women. And Bruce Pritchard is off to the side and hears this conversation. And to hear Bruce Pritchard tell it from his side, it it just, not that there was anything new said, it just was a fun way of hearing it. Bruce Bruce says, oh, that's, I'd love to see that. And Mick says, well, I got a tape. And Bruce says, there's a tape. <laughs> Bring the tape to me. <laughs> and then Mick says they brought the subject to Vince McMahon. And Vince McMahon realizes, well, the real life story of Mick Foley might be more interesting than all the things that we've concocted into this into this character. Yes, so indeed. I guess when it comes down to it, though, these the arc of these, both the interview and the documentary was talking about if all of this was worth it. And Steve at the very end asks the question because in the documentary, he doesn't answer it. He sets it up at the end of the documentary with a quote that I'll read here. He says, I know how unusual it is for someone like me me to feel optimism about tomorrow after what I put myself through in countless yesterdays. But when I'm asked about my life, I can look people in the eye and answer them truthfully. Yes, it hurt. No, I'm not a psychopath, I don't think. And yes, I do have some regrets. There were times I put my family through the ringer and they responded with the gift of acceptance. It's a gift I'll spend the rest of my life appreciating. I know that people are going to keep asking those questions and I know there are still going to be days where I ask myself, was it worth it? And that's how the documentary ends. Mick says, was it worth it? The camera focuses on him. You get a little smirk, a little smile to indicate that, yeah, it was worth it but I'm not going to go so far as to say it was worth it to take unprotected chair shots and get thrown off the top of the cell and be burned alive, literally. Um, So Steve asks the question. He says it wasn't answered in the documentary. Was it worth it? And Mick Foley takes a long time to answer the question. He gives out all the caveats. He says, when I look at Mongo McMichaels and I look at Tim Green and I look at these guys that have had just a horrible life after wrestling. It, it scares him. But then he says, yes, it was worth it. So 
I'm sure there was a, a, a part, uh, there was a point in time where he might have been leaning the other way because, as uh, discussed in both of the pieces that we're running back here, he took some time away. He went home and uh, he had some more children and he was more present for those children. But then he fell into a lull of, and I don't know if Mick Foley would ever flat out use this term, but I think he fell into a deep depression. And it was his going back on the road for spoken word and uh, becoming Santa Claus. He was a crisis counselor for a little while. It was those things that brought him out of it because there were some years there where he just, you know, sat on the couch in his basement and didn't want even his family around him because the sunlight or lights, iridescent lights in the room would hurt him. And he just was in a little bit of a shell. Thank God he came back out of that shell. He seems healthier now than maybe anyone could have anticipated considering what he put himself through. I, I joked around in the uh, intro to this video mentioning Santa Claus and saying three or four or five faces of Foley. Well, Santa Claus is one of the faces of Foley. And it was interesting to, uh, to hear Edge and others talk about Mick dressing up as Santa Claus for his kids. But you brought up the spoken word tour. He also does cameos. And what he explained to Steve Austin in the interview is that how good these things are for his mental health. Yes. Having taken all the chair shots and the blows to the head and being told that he could never wrestle again because of those things, he wondered himself why he was not in worse shape than he is. And some of the experts have told him it's because you exercise your brain with the spoken word to her and the promos and stuff that he does in cameo. So it, it, interesting where you get inspiration and you find life. But for those four years that Mick Foley was in, in WWF, he left a mark on me as a wrestling fan for sure. And I, like I said, I, I feel like he was around for a decade when he was really not at all. <laughs> unbelievable career and an unbelievable impact in such a short time. Yes. And he was retired before he was 35, thank God. I guess the, retired the first time. Yeah, exactly. You know, he, he, like you mentioned, he came back for four matches in WWE and his TNA run, which he said was a cash grab. Okay, right after the break, John DeCani has found a whole bunch of things on the internet that he would like to ask me whether or not is bullshit. So that's what we're going to get into after the break. Stick with us, and we will be right back. If you love the Daily Wrestling News Show, then I want to tell you how you can support us. First, check out BodySlamClothes.com. You can get a variety of shirts for just $20, and all of them come in the super soft style, and the price you see includes all sizes and shipping. Get 10% off two or more shirts with the promo code SHIRTS10. Go to BodySlamClothes.com right now to check it out. And join Joey Jarzanka, Ian Schreier, and Rob DeLuca on Friday nights for the Primetime Rundown. They take you through the world of sports. The show kicks off at 6 p.m. on the Eastern Observer. And each Tuesday, Al Carl hosts the Essential Wrestling Podcast alongside John Smith, myself, John DeCani, and Gary Mahaffey. It's another week of updates and highlights in the world of wrestling. Here are our analysis on who we think is going to win the week's matches. Coverage begins at 6 p.m. on the Eastern Observer. And Pro Wrestling Pick'em. It's a place where you can join or host a Pick'em League to test your predictive skills in the world of pro wrestling. Create an account and join a league now at ProWrestlingPick'em.com so you can play against your friends or play against the universe. 
and the Body Slam Brigade newsletter. Currently going out to over 4,200 people each Friday, it consolidates all the top stories in professional wrestling into a quick-to-read email written by me for you for free. Sign up now at bodyslambrigade.com. And of course, this show, the Daily Wrestling News Show. We're here every day, Monday through Thursday, and occasionally on Friday. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or watch us live on Facebook and YouTube at 10 a.m. This is the Daily Wrestling News Show, and we thank you for your support. Okay, we're not getting into headlines quite yet because this is the portion of the show where John is going to ask me some questions about the rumors he's heard. Yes, sir. So tell me what you know. Depending on where you look, Damian Priest has been off of our television sets for quite a while now. Is it because of his back injury or is it because of the dreaded creative's got nothing for you? So here's what we know. Dave Meltzer did report that Priest was suffering from a back injury and recovering, and that's why he was out. Fightful followed up on that report, and they, being WWE, denied that it was the back injury. The reasons for Priest's absence, though, were not disclosed to Fightful. Fightful did say that he may have been dealing with a back injury recently, but that was not the most recent reason why he's missed television. So there could be some truth to the back injury or him healing up, so to speak, but he had apparently some other reasons why he was not on television. Now, the idea that there is nothing for him from creative, that has not been something that has played out yet. As of earlier this week, June 22nd, the idea was that Priest could be available as early as this Monday if WWE has anything for him creatively. And it's hard to say, right? Because he obviously had a program that they put a period at the end of with The Miz, and perhaps they had some place for him to go after that, but he couldn't because of whatever the reasons are that he's out right now. So we'll see. I think on Monday we'll probably know whether or not they had anything for him this week or if they're trying to come up with a next plan for him. So there was some hope at some point that he would be involved in the Money in the Bank qualifying matches. Sure. But he obviously missed those. So that's what we know. I There's probably some truth to the back injury, but as far as the creative thing, I don't think that's played out at all yet. He had some reason for being out, and we don't know what it is. And he'll be back soon, hopefully. Good. We hope we see him soon. All right. Tell us what you know about Big E's future. I've heard he's going to jump over to Raw in the draft, and he's shooting almost right to the main event. Yeah, Travis wants to talk about this on Tuesday because he has uh, he has some thoughts about this whole subject. But there was a tweet that got put out by WrestleVotes. Now, WrestleVotes is a Twitter account, and that's it. They don't have a website presence. I don't even think we know who is behind the account, but they have some sources, and they could put out some stories. And Often they have some accuracy to them, but they put out that Biggie, the, there is an idea floating around. And so words are important because that's what they said at WrestleVotes was he, they heard that an idea was being floated around that Big E could move to Raw but remain a singles competitor. So after they said that, WrestleVotes, then they said, in essence... He would still, New Day would be reunited, but not as a team. So there's two pieces to this. First and foremost, somebody heard an idea was being floated around. That's not news. That is the definition of rumor. And B, the second part, the he'll be reunited with New Day and not be a team. That was them taking the piece of thing that they heard and then speculating further on that. So to me, this could eventually become truth. 
this could happen. But for me right now, this is BS. All right. And tangential to that, what do you know about Xavier Woods taking time off? Is it going to be storyline that he's injured? Because obviously he just took a, a beating from Bobby Lashley. But it, it seems like he's got plenty of stuff to do outside of wrestling, at least for a little while. Yeah, he even mentioned that he had some hosting responsibilities on Monday Night Raw this past week. So Brian Alvarez mentioned in passing on Wrestling Observer Live that he had heard that Xavier Woods might have been written off television for a bit based on the story that we saw play out on Raw with him getting annihilated by Bobby Lashley. Nobody else has said anything about that. And so I really don't know. And I guess on Monday, if he's off television, we'll know the answer to that. But at this point, this feels more like speculation. There's no definitive news here. Okay. Okay. Another not been seen on TV in a while, but not even asking why at this point anymore. There are some issues or some stories, rumors, if you will, about Keith Lee and how he's having issues trademarking his name and the reasons for that. Yeah, so this report came from Heal by Nature, and a lot of what's in the report, I think in this one, tone is important, because all we really know is that there are issues with Keith Lee and WWE trying to file trademarks for the name Keith Lee. Keith Lee's real name is Keith Lee, so there is that piece to the story, but we don't know if Keith Lee and WWE are at odds, or if they're both filing reports in different areas and trying to make sure their rights are aligned and we also don't know in any way shape or form that this is why keith lee is not on television because i think that's the natural next question that people are thinking is they're at odds on this trademark issue so that's why they've taken him off television we don't know any of that all we know is that keith lee has filed for trademarks wwe has filed for trademarks the patent office has asked questions of both of them so neither one of them are getting the thing trademarked so they continue to work through that. That's all. And now, Brock Lesnar. The sexiest topic of them all, right? <laughs> the last major update that, that anybody has said with any definitiveness at all came from Fightful on June 20th. And the basis of their report is that WWE is all, on, all hands on deck for SummerSlam and that it's a poorly kept secret that WWE hopes to have Lesnar back. Those close to Lesnar believe that there has not really been any contact yet. Fightful spoke to other departments in WWE, and at this point, nobody is prepping any promotional materials for Brock Lesnar. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not going to show up, but it means that we don't really have news at the moment. All we know is that WWE probably wants him back. There may or may not have been working on that at this point, but nobody is preparing for his return. So it could either be a super surprise return, which in this day and age isn't really likely because people are going to want to take advantage of the ratings. Yep. I think we'll know soon enough, but I don't think we have any news here to report. Okay. And lastly, Vinnie Mac himself, a couple stories that are out there. One that ironically, he, he never wants to see cold matches again. He wants everything to have a storyline and a little lead up to it. And that secondly, in looking down the ladder to NXT, he's not necessarily looking for wrestlers to bring up. He doesn't really care about that portion of it. He's looking for characters. So this one came from Ringside News. And it's interesting. I think, again, tone is important in this story because 
everybody likes to beat on Vince McMahon, but when I read this report from Ringside News, to me it says there's nothing new here, right? Like Vince McMahon saying I don't want to have cold matches. That doesn't sound like a brand new edict that's out there. It probably is a policy that he's had forever. Look, we've had tons and tons of repeat matches. It makes sense in this sense. He wants a reason for the match. That doesn't sound even like bad policy from him. It just sounds like maybe something that was communicated and said, here's the reason why I'm pushing down your creative ideas every week. And then on the other side, he's looking at characters from NXT. I think that's always been Vince McMahon's deal, right? Like he's, he doesn't care if you're the best wrestler on the planet. If you don't have a character, you don't connect with the audience, I guess is, you know, Vince's mentality. So to me, this is just, they ringside news. They, I think they did their due diligence. They had some sources that told them these things, but I don't think there's anything much to this other than just, these are maybe some policies and some things that Vince is looking for. Excellent uh, job there, sir. You have officially sorted through the bullshit. We need to play our little bumper. All right. That noise means that we're into the headlines portion of the show. And so John, Super Genie passes away. Yes. That's the uh, that's the big headline. Melissa Code, Super Genie, someone who had been accompanying Sabu in recent memory, has passed away. Yes. Rest in peace, Melissa Coates. Yeah, I, we were talking uh, before the show. I don't know a lot about her from her actual wrestling career. I just have seen her as Sabu's valet in the past couple of years, and it's very sad because she was quite young. The one person who was very much out in front giving a little story, she was Bailey's first ever match. And Bailey uh, thanked her for being so sweet and so helpful to her early career and for, quote, busting my brace face open, unquote. I would like to get Mick Foley's viewpoint on Bailey wrestling with braces. (laughs) (laughs) We know she started early, but good God. (laughs) All right. Yuka Sakazaki is heading back to the U.S. to work in AEW. She leaves Japan on July 1st and doesn't return to Japan until August 14th. So we're going to have a good six weeks of time with Yuka Sakazaki. At least a month. Japan may require her to quarantine for 10 days, but she has a match on August 14th. It'll be fun to have her back in the rotation, I think. Yeah, absolutely. That women's division, you know, you love just dropping excellent workers like that in there and seeing what they can do for a little while. And there's a bit of an issue that was unresolved between Yuka Sakazaki and the current champ, Britt Baker. Yuka Sakazaki, I think, was the first one to feel the wrath of Britt Baker's submission finisher. Yes. Draw. So, and, and Yuka has a victory over her. So in all likelihood, we'll see that uh, paid back, right? <laughs> I think so. I hope so. I hope so. Max the Impaler got a ticket to gold on last night's Ring of Honor Women's Wednesday. So Max will now be entered into the women's tournament this summer. So that field is filling out. I can't imagine that there's very many more people that will be added at this point. They do have quite the lineup of people, so... And Major League Wrestling comes back to Philadelphia in October for Fightland. This is after an advanced sellout of 2300 Arena for Battle Riot in July. So 
It's always it's good to hear these uh, to these live shows getting announced very soon. It's not going to be news anymore. It's going to be very run of the mill. But until then, it feels nice to say X Company is running in front of fans. Yeah, and Philly does. They definitely did enjoy MLW's last trip. I think you probably are more up to date in what's going on with MLW. I'm just catching them on Vice. Mm -hmm. And we're still seeing those shows where they did. They started in Texas. Now we've seen the last three shows from Philadelphia. That crowd is definitely responding well to uh, that MLW roster. I was there. I was there for that last taping at the 2300 arena. And yeah, it's fun. And that, that South Philly crowd is a very unique crowd. So <laughs> as unique, the, uh, the nicest thing that's ever been said about South Philadelphia as the ECW, uh, shows will always demonstrate wwe is continuing their top 50 tag teams of all time john and finally last week we got the the demolition watch is over this week we got the brothers of destruction on the list so now kane is on the list three times kane and x-pac team hell no and now kane and the undertaker so Number 10 is the Bulldogs. Number nine was the Brothers of Destruction. Eight was the New Age Outlaws. Seven was the Usos. Six was the Legion of Doom. So talking before the show, we were saying we think the remaining five are going to be New Day, Edge and Christian, Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy, the Dudley Boys, and the Hearts. The Hearts Foundation, yep. Yep. And I got to believe the Dudleys are top of the list. I, I, after all this time, you know, you that was the one that you picked out, and I think they're going to be at the top of the WWE's list. I certainly hope so. I can see them because this is the WWE. I can see them putting New Day in that slot, and I would not be surprised in the least to see New Day at number two. But yeah, I, I can see them flip flopping the Dudleys and New Day in, in the way I have it guessed in that top five. Yeah, I think the Dudleys is a good neutral choice for them to pick, and if it's the New Day, I don't know if I have a huge problem with that they certainly have had more longevity than any recent tag team or has ever had so absolutely in an interview with metro ray mysterio said he has no interest in wrestling dominic mysterio and i think everybody was planning on that match for SummerSlam. so i just hope vince mcmahon didn't hear that yeah i don't i don't think vince mcmahon cares what ray wants that storyline gets put in front of a mcmahon it doesn't matter so. <laughs> In an update to what Al Carl told us on Monday about Peacock not being available to use with the Fire Stick, Amazon Fire TV, Peacock is debuting on that device today. So Nice. Sorry, Al, you don't have to jump through all those hoops. You can just get the Peacock app now on Fire Sticks. And John DeCani, how about this replica belt we're hearing so much about from AEW? You're the resident belt man, so what, what can you tell us? I saw the unveiling video by one of the gentlemen who helped produce it. He helped. He didn't make the original design, but he worked for over a year with them to get the layout right and the, the less than the plastic that uh, you get on the WWE as far as the stones. They have upgraded stones. They have upgraded leather. The plates are made to look stacked just like they are on the original belt. And... Granted, I'm not a huge fan of the original, but in looking at the pictures between the original and the replica, they did a smashing job. This thing looks fantastic, and it's it comes in at about uh, nine pounds, so that's fairly substantial for a replica, and it's beautiful. It's if you like the original, you will go gaga over the replica. 
there was some thought that it was going to be up there. The, the WWE, I think they call them the Elite Series. They're like $1,400, $1,500. And with what went into this belt, with the upgraded stones and everything like that, would not have been crazy. But apparently the, the, the pre-sale number is about $700. So more expensive than the WWE belts when they first come out, but not insane considering the craftsmanship that went into this thing. Yeah, and I th- believe I heard when Jericho was tell- recounting the story of him losing the belt yes. and it getting stolen, him and Tony Khan were talking about the value of the belt, and the original belt is valued around thirty grand. Yeah. So to get a replica for 700 that looks as good as what you're describing, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Man, not bad at all. You think Tony Khan's saying to himself, why am I spending thirty grand on this belt? <laughs> I, I think uh, Tony Khan lights his cigars with 30 grand. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> At least Shad does. So <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, on the subject of Tony Khan, Dynamite is on Saturday this week, and we have an AEW World Championship match between Kenny Omega and Jungle Boy. In addition, we have Will Hobbs versus Hangman Page. That was all announced in advance. We got two more matches added to the card, Matt Seidel versus Dante Martin and The Bunny versus Chris Statlander. There is talk, and I'm seeing reports of Sammy Guevara and MJF preparing for their future match, as well as Ethan Page versus Bear Bronson, but I haven't seen that through AEW's official Twitter account yet. We may see that, or we may not. So That should be a hell of a show. NXT UK today, Ilya Dragunov versus Rampage Round versus Joe Coffey is the main event, and that should be just three trucks running into each other. And then Tailman versus Oliver Carter on the undercard. On Impact tonight, we have Violent by Design versus Kojima and Eddie Edwards. That'll be the main event, I think, for the Impact World Tag Team Championships. Deanna Perrazzo versus Susan in a non-title match. Rohit and Shara versus Trey and Petey Williams. Gara Hogan versus Rosemary. And Decay versus TJP and Falaba on before the impact. SmackDown, we got nothing, John. <laughs> yeah, SmackDown is uh, they're, they're still basking in the afterglow of uh, last week's main event. I would say that it's going to be at least uh, colon fallout from Hell in the Cell, but there wasn't as uh, Bailey and Bianca fallout and stuff, but Roman wasn't on the show. Roman Reigns. Maybe we'll figure out who his next victim is tonight. And hopefully someone in the last two weeks has uh, located Jey Uso. There you go. go. All right, John, did we leave anything out? I think we squashed rumors. We sorted through the bullshit. We talked Mick Foley. Oh, I want to know. Your favorite face of Foley is? Oh, definitely Cactus Jack. Jack. Specifically ECW era Cactus Jack. Kane Dewey? You sick bastards! <laughs> when Cactus made his debut in WWF in Madison Square Garden, credit to Triple H for selling that because it was just Mick Foley not wearing his mask, but, but Triple H made it seem like the debut of the Terminator. All right, with that said, I think we have done our duty for the day. For John, I'm Ryan. We'll see you on Monday. See you.